you know, we've chosen to be vertically integrated and it's not because I necessarily think that third-party property managers are bad. I just think that there's a like kind of a structural misalignment of incentives. We always kind of consider property management as being a separate side of the business. And we're already building one business and we didn't want to be building kind of a second. I think as an operator, it's really good to be clear on kind of how the value chain works, who you're providing value to, who you're receiving value from. You know, and one of the things that we've seen coming into a property uh, with bad delinquency issues, one of the biggest things that tenants will will mention is, well, I didn't pay my rent because my toilet's been backed up for three weeks and you know, no one's come to take a look. I had my air conditioning's out. I'm not going to pay for an apartment that have my air conditioning out. It feels like everything matters. You know, there's all these kind of alarms going off, people demanding your time, all the things you could fill your time with. And at the end of the day, very few of them actually matter. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Road 100. We uh, have kind of a fun episode today. We've been talking a little bit more about broader kind of economics, um, broader market. Uh, you know, I think uh, um, in general over the past few episodes. Today, we thought it'd be fun to dive in a little bit deeper into specific property operations. Um, so that includes property management and asset management. Um, and uh, so yeah. Anyways, I think that's uh, that's kind of where we'll where we'll kick it off today. How are you doing, Daniel? How was your holiday? I'm doing great. It was a it was a fun you know fun break. Lots of time with the family. Um, great to great to take a take a little bit of a break, but it's also great to be back. It's it, we I think we we're just, we were just talking off air about how this week's gone by so quick with the uh, <laughs> with the holiday Monday. It's we're recording this on what Thursday, January fourth, and it feels like this week's already flying by. So. Excited yeah, to get it into it. Feels like Tuesday. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, me and Daniel kind of had the same sort of very similar ideas for this week. I think we'll we're gonna kind of dive into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of running an, an, an investment firm. Um, a big part of that uh, is operations. Now, Daniel, I think you've been you guys have been vertically integrated since the very beginning, right? Yeah, I mean, we were, well, you know, we were a construction company before we were ever a, um, you know, multifamily owner. So we started out as, you know, we started out as a contractor, we've done all those renovations. And then from the very beginning, we, um, we managed stuff in house. So, you know, in the beginning, when we only had a few units, it wasn't much of a management company. But now uh, we're starting to, you know, I mean, I would, I would still say we're not much of a management company, but we're, we're focused sure. on that. And that's, you know, the big part of what we're building is, is the the management and the maintenance, um, you know, and, and the construction part of it. So yeah, we're, we're definitely vertically integrated. And I know you have talked about, you know, potentially vertically integrating at some point, like what walk through, what walk through your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, so me and my partner, I think originally, um, you know, and, and it's, it's obviously, it's always, uh, um, you know, it, it's always, you wish you, you wish hindsight's 2020, right? You wish you knew now what you, uh, you know, you wish you knew then, but you know, now. Um, but I think we always kind of considered, we always kind of considered property management as being a separate side of the business and that we were kind of subscale to be able to a, be able to achieve that. And we're already building one business and we didn't want to be building kind of a second. Um, so, but what I've noticed is over time, um, as we have kind of pushed for better and better and better results uh, across our properties, what I've often found is that we are we are often spending so much time. Our asset management group is spending so much time and is so in the weeds uh, that a the the site managers the we, so so there's kind of you know in our pro types of properties there's usually four positions. There's usually a community manager or site manager. There's a leasing agent or 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 a um, or assistant PM, uh, depending on like, you know, the property that I don't know why that we call it, we have different names for different things, we shouldn't. Um, and then there's a maintenance supervisor and a maintenance tech, right? So usually we have about four people staffing a property. Um, that's not under value add, if it's under value add, there's usually a 50% allocation of a of a single construction manager that's on site, um, about 50% of the time. So, uh, so anyways, um, that's kind of like general setup, just to kind of give you a, a rough idea, but all those folks, basically feel like they report up into our asset management group. And so a big push for us in 2024, as we've basically, you know, as we've basically been, 
I, w- I don't want to say we've been doing all of the work. I think that would be unfair to all the great people that work with us. But I would say because we are, you know, let's call us maybe control freaks would be the not nice way to say it. But because we love our, um, you know, control and we want things done a certain way, we're a little bit more technology forward. Um, and there, I think there's consistently a principal agent problem that happens with, uh, you know, with property management. So on some of our properties, we are looking to vertically integrate and, you know, we'll see how that, you know, how that goes over the, over the course of the next year or so. Um, and which property, you know, we probably won't do with all of them all at once, but, um, but we are, you know, we are deeply, uh, you know, we, we, we are deeply committed to kind of internalizing operations over a, you know, over a period of time, um, it won't be tomorrow. Um, but we, we just believe a that, you know, between the principal agent problem that you always have with an external property manager, um, and the ability to control stuff like culture and recruiting and, um, you know, opportunities for growth within the firm, um, you know, and, and, and I, I think just in general, we're, we're willing to spend more, um, on that type of stuff, because really we make all of our money on our returns. We don't make money on our fees um, for property management. We just feel like it's a it's a better long term setup, and so that is the direction we're kind of going. And I, I I think we've been able to get the results that we've been able to get, um, you know, regardless. But uh, but I do think that I do think we would be working a lot. We'd be working, you know a lot less to get those same results um, if we were vertically integrated. So that's kind of the thinking behind it. Yeah, interesting. So do you feel when you're, so I'm assuming that you have a, a, a big hand in hiring those onsite staff, but then do you end up feeling like they don't necessarily work 100% for you? Like, is it kind of a, you know, like they're serving two masters type of thing where you have, a, where you sometimes feel like, you know, they might be getting one set of instructions from you and another set of direction from their, you know, from the property manager that's technically their employer? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, right? Um, for sure, that's an issue. Uh, you know, and I don't, it's, you know, I, wa- I want to be clear. I don't think that it's necessarily a, um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a issue with the, you know, I, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a company specific issue. This is not me complaining about our property manager or, sure. you, know, yeah. they, you know, they do a great job. Um, you know, they're institutional quality manager. They do, they, they manage hundreds of thousands of units. They're, they're excellent. Right. Um, but I think there just is a structural design problem with, yeah, they're, they're kind of serving two masters, right. Um, a previous property management firm that we use, not the current one that we use on a lot of our properties, but a previous property management firm that we use. One of the things that we realized is that we as the property, because you know, for those of you guys that don't understand, we as a property uh, of, you know, large multifamily generally what happens is the property management charge firm charges three or three and a half percent of gross revenues. And then your site pays the direct payrolls of the folks working on site. Right. And so that the 3.5% pays for your area manager, uh, your pays part of the salary, the area manager, the regional manager, um, you know, and the infrastructure like bookkeeping accounts payable, et cetera. Right. And then obviously their profit margin. Um, now you got to remember those regionals, those area managers, et cetera, they have probably multiple clients under them. Right. Um, and so what happened, like, for example, this was, this happened a couple of years ago, we had a property where we were having trouble finding great staff and we said, well, you know, have you guys raised the salary? Uh, that, that we're offering. And they said, yes, we, we raised the salary that we're offering. Come to find out, we did a couple of Google searches, the salary hadn't been raised and we kind of dug into it. And it turned out that we were willing to pay, you know, we were willing to pay, let's call it $5,000, $10,000 more, more a year because we thought it would get us, you know, $100,000 more in revenue or something like that, right? Um, so we're happy to pay it and pay top of market to get great people. And we're going to talk about like, what are the things that really matter in operations in a minute? And I believe great people is one of them. Um, and we were willing to pay that amount, but the property management firm was reticent to do that because that would mean that they would have to raise the salaries of like the area manager and the regional manager, because all of a sudden this, you know, person that works for them, um, oh, or for those individuals so, would be, so yes, yeah, so there's, there's parity issues within yeah. the property management company that are affecting you at the property level. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, 
Um, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, we've, you know, we've chosen to be vertically integrated, but we, and it's not because I necessarily think that third-party property managers are bad. I just think that there's a, like kind of a structural misalignment of incentives. Um, you know, generally speaking in a third-party property manager views you as the owner, as their, as their client, right? Like their, their kind of goal in the world is to go out and convince other property owners to hire them as the property manager so that they can essentially get a, you know, a share of the revenue. Um, whereas us as the owners, I mean, if we're doing it right, we should view the tenants as our customers, right? Like our goal is to provide a quality housing product for tenants, the better quality housing product we can provide, the more rent we can charge, more rent will translate into higher returns. And ultimately that benefits our investors who are who are yeah. essentially our partners. And so I feel like there's, I feel like you have to, you know, I, it just, it's, I think as an operator, it's really good to be clear on kind of how the value chain works, who you're providing value to, who you're receiving value from, and just kind of have a complete alignment um, along that whole, along the whole system. And I do think that third-party property management throws kind of a kink in there because you end up with this person in the middle who's got their, you know, their value chains upside down from yours. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, absolutely the case. And it's just kind of, you know, it again, right. It's it's no individual's fault. It's just kind of a, a structural. Right. And it's not even to say that they, you know, they can do a perfectly good job. There's plenty of really good property managers and lots of really successful, um, owners who use third-party property managers, but you're kind of achieving that success, you know, in spite of the, uh, you know, in spite of kind of some of these, you know, structural concerns, you know, which um, it it just seems like it's an additional headwind. Totally. Yeah. I I think, I think that's absolutely the case. And it, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I do, I do think that there, you, I think that people can absolutely be successful. It's just kind of like, which battles do you want to fight? I think at the end of the day, when you hit a certain scale, it really starts to make sense. And so we're just kind of choosing to do that a little bit earlier. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of a good lead in to, you know, uh, to, to this discussion. Um, I was telling Daniel before the call that, uh, there's a investor, um, a venture capitalist, uh, and startup incubator, um, well, there's a startup incubator called YC Combinator, or sorry, Y Combinator. It was started by a, a guy named Paul Graham um, and his wife, Jessica Livingston. And um, he's a kind of a prolific investor, uh, writer, hacker, um, has amazing essays. If you ever want to think about business in like, I think really kind of more philosophical ways, or just think about life in more philosophical ways, uh, you know, I think he has really, really good essays. Um, and um and, and I think it's a very clear thinker uh, between him and Naval. I think I think probably two of the more interesting thinkers that you know are in contemporary times. And he had a article called uh, or an essay called "How to Do Great Work." And I'm a bit obsessed with it lately. Um, in it, he says that you know one of the most valuable types of knowledge that you get from experience is to know what you don't have to worry about. And the young know all the things that could matter, but not the relative importance. So they worry equally about everything when they should worry much more about a few things and hardly all about the rest. Um, and so we thought we'd do kind of a little bit of an episode today about you know what really matters uh, when it comes to property management and property operations. Um, so yeah, no, you know, that, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's, that's that's great. That's an interesting, that's a very interesting thought. We do, we talk about that a lot within our own team, just the idea that only a few things matter. And ultimately, you know, whenever you, you know, when you're looking back, you can typically see pretty clearly, you know, which things did and didn't matter. But when you're in the thick of it, especially when you're, you know, just starting out or you're a young entrepreneur, it feels like everything matters. You know, there's all these, sure. all these kind of alarms going off, people, you know, people, you know, demanding your time, you know, just all the, all the things you could fill your time with. And at the end of the day, you know, very few of them actually, actually matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, I've had like younger entrepreneurs in in a broader sense, right. But younger entrepreneurs come to me and be like, what, 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 uh, what website tool should I use? Right. Like Wix or Squarespace or whatever. At the end of the day, I'm like, man, that is the least interesting question that you could possibly ask. And, you know, I, and, and I, I mean that in the kindest possible way. Um, although I guess it doesn't sound very kind when I say it like that. But, you know, but but it, it they really don't know kind of what to focus on. Right. Everything seems important. 
but really the underlying website technology that you're using to for a you know assuming it's like a pretty simple informational website where they come and get basic information and about me page whatever um really is probably not going to make a major difference even if you're e-commerce right i mean at scale it may make a difference but you got way bigger problems to worry about right now right um so yeah so i i love that i love that perspective so um anyways i guess i guess when we kind of get down to it um you know you had you had a good rule of thumb um or a good uh, I, I think you uh, not a rule of thumb but you you called it three legs of a stool um and i think that's a really good place to start sure well so we talk about this within our property management staff um uh, you know, we we came up with the illustration of a stool at some point in time and, and kind of said that, you know, when it comes to property management, there's really only three things that matter. And they're kind of these three legs. And, you know, one of them's leasing, uh, one of them's rent collection. And the third one is kind of customer service slash maintenance. And, and we kind of said, look, like if you're if you're leasing apartments, collecting the rent and your customers are happy, then nothing else really matters. Now, obviously there's other things that you have to do that contribute to those three things. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're doing those three things, well, you can be basically doing everything else horribly and still be pretty successful. Yeah, no, I, I love, um, I love those three things. We, uh, so the kind of the three things that we really think about, um, you know, are along those lines, uh, we kind of, we split them into a little bit different buckets, but I think the one, um, the one additional thing we were just talking about a little bit before, um, is great staff. So we have the kind of the three, we think of it very similarly to you where we have the three stools, um, leasing collections and tenant happiness slash maintenance. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I have stories of, of really difficult properties with great property managers and really good properties with bad property managers and you know and and the bad property or the difficult property with a great property manager and a great site staff etc um will perform better than the you know than the than the great property with bad staff on site um so and i've heard you know all sorts of 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 horror stories but at the end of the day they are your you know, uh, they are the key to keeping tenants happy, which is key to retention, They're the key to collecting rents, which is your key to, you know, uh, actually earning the revenue, um, and your key to leasing, which is, you know, the other piece of revenue. So um, when you guys look at sales, I'm just curious, so sorry, when you look at leasing, uh, how do you kind of break leasing down? And like, who is responsible, you know, who's responsible on your on your teams for that? Um, do you break it down to like two buckets? Do you have a third party marketing firm and, uh, you know, and, and then sales is something different. How do you kind of think about it? Well, we're still figuring this all out. So we're, we're still sure, at, this sure. stage in our, at this stage in our life, we're, we're still figuring out what's a, what's a good way to do leasing right now. We use a lot of third party marketing like Zillow and apartments.com and things like that. And then we yeah. have uh, we have one full time we have one full time leasing agent whose primary job it is to is to essentially go to showings and show apartments. And then we kind of have a team of people who do all the other parts of it, whether it's um, you know you know listings, following up on leads, uh, you know follow up post post showings, uh, actually issuing leases. And, and we're oh, we're really? still ironing okay, out cool. the process. But so one thing that's unique to us, and it's probably a little different is all of our properties are geographically, um, you know, geographically close to each other. So we, we are able sure. to kind of manage all of our properties as a single portfolio kind of with a single team. So we don't really have, even at our larger properties, we don't have one dedicated property manager that only deals with that property. And so that's, sure. that's kind of a, probably a key difference depending on what type of property you're talking about. Like if, you know, if you have a standalone 300 unit building somewhere, you likely have a couple, you have likely have a leasing team that's dedicated to that property. Yeah. And so I, the three kind of things I, I think I heard are basically, you know, lead generation, you know, the initial sales and then kind of the closing of the sale and servicing of the sale. Right. Um, so, you know, follow up, closing, getting the lease signed, um, you know, and then getting them moved in uh, on, you know, a little bit of a further breakdown on marketing. I think marketing is kind of an interesting area as well, because it, it, again, it's the same type of like, do what really matters, right? I mean, you could do, you, you could advertise on apartments.com 
on Zillow. You have PPC and search engine marketing. You have community websites, apartment guides, uh, you know, newspapers, <laughs> although I don't know who does that anymore, um, signs and banners, brochures, uh, social media marketing. I've been pushed social media marketing. We've not seen, we try, we tested it out. We've we haven't seen any, um, you know, we haven't seen any, uh, uh, real like benefits of it so far. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit buzzword. I've heard of people, I've, I've got some anecdotal stories of people who've been really successful using social media marketing. Um, but we've not, we've not dive, you know, dove really deep into it and we've not seen a lot of success with it. Although it, it's interesting because obviously your, your cost per lead could go way down if you could figure out a good social media strategy. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, it's, that's an interesting, it, you know, it's interesting, but we, we've, we've not had much success with it yet. Where have you had the best success? So like, what is your, if you, if you could only do one, uh, you know, or we'll call it two, make it easier. Like if you could only do two marketing activities and leasing, like what are the two things that really matter to you guys? And are you guys doing anything that's kind of unique or interesting? I don't think that we're doing anything super unique, but so up until, up until the last, let's say six months, we had always just syndicated um, listings kind of just across the broad network of places where you syndicate listings, just kind of in the generic in the generic way, the property management software does it. Like we weren't, we weren't sure. paying specific, like, I don't know how familiar people are with how Zillow and apartments.com and services like that work, but you know, you actually have to pay per property for a specific package to kind of boost your posts for that property within their system. Otherwise you just kind of get thrown into the, the general pool and your, and your stuff will show up, but not very, not very well. But, yeah. you know, up until about six months ago, we were getting pretty good success without doing any of that extra boosting um, of any of these properties within those networks. But then as, you know, as leasing has slowed down, as the economy has slowed down, we've had to look at different things. And so we're, we've experimented with a bunch of different stuff. I'm not sure we I'm not sure we're far enough into it to really definitively say what does and doesn't work. But it, I will say it seems like there's a big difference between being at the highest level package and being at like the second highest level package. So, I mean, it's kind of like if you don't show up, you know, one, two or three in your market, you might as well show up 20 because I'm not sure there's hmm. a lot of differentiation, you know, for four, that's five, six, or seven. So that's, yeah. so we've, we've done, we've, we've done that to some degree. And then it, it probably depends on your local market. For whatever reason, it seems to us that um, Zillow is, is, significantly more effective than apartments.com. And that might not be true everywhere, but at least in our market, it seems like we get a lot more leads from Zillow and the leads we get are higher quality. But uh, what well, are you guys, are, do you, so, you know, do you get any insight into that or is that something that's handled kind of by the property management company and you're not directly involved in how they're generating leads? Yeah. So I will say, um, uh, yeah, so we, before, oftentimes it was a lot of that was kind of outsourced, um, and we've gotten more and more and more involved because we want we wanted to kind of start seeing a little bit better. Um, uh, uh, we want to see a little bit better kind of accountability for you know for the spend that we were putting out, right? For the property spend, for for the money we were you know putting out, like to see how many how many leads does this actually bring in, and and what are kind of the quality of the leads. Um, so we've brought a lot of that, uh, kind of in-house, um, we have kind of revamped, uh, the entirety of, uh, of a lot of how that is done. And so what we are currently seeing, um, you know, our two biggest kind of, I think sources are a lot of our markets, especially like tertiary markets. It's kind of like, you know, uh, not all of them, but like a handful of our tertiary markets or handful of our markets are tertiary and there's kind of a limited universe of apartments right and so we found in those really small mar small markets you know what matters the most is the reputation of the property um you know reputation of the property uh good reviews um and a little bit of like local signage uh so i mean people moving from out of town i think what we see a lot at least in like georgia and florida we see a lot of apartments.com um i'm interested i don't think we've tested zillow um, so I am interested to, to try that. And then, you know, we see a decent amount from, uh, from paid, paid search marketing, right. Uh, you know, generally speaking, the, it is not, you know, we're just targeting, 
you know, let's call it, we're just targeting, you know, Macon, Georgia, right? It's not a massive, you know, I mean, it's a decent sized market, but, you know, we're talking 250,000 possible people. You know, you break that down by renters and income, and you're probably talking about, you know, 100,000 people or less. Um, you know, you break that down further of people that are actually searching for apartments. And, you know, you're not, your spend isn't, isn't very great. You have high intent, right? No one's searching. Uh, well, they, they could be right. They could just be browsing or whatever, but, but largely if they're searching for apartments in a specific market for specific keywords, they have high intent to buy. They're, they're looking for something, um, you know, and if we can find them, if we can grab them at the top of PPC, usually it doesn't cost us a lot per lead. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and generally speaking, you know, that is the only way that we're going to grab them before they hit apartments.com. Otherwise, you know, apartments.com, Zillow, these companies spend so much money in advertising and SEO, et cetera. It's going to be really hard to beat them at their own game. Um, so we've seen some limited success and some decent success with, you know, paid search. Um, we do nothing anymore with SEO. We just don't feel like that's a, that's a good use of dollars. Um, because basically if, if you search apartments, in any market for sure you're not going to be on the first page and it's interesting what you said about being you know number one two three on zillow or apartments.com or whatever right uh same thing with search if you're if you're not on the first page even if you're not in the top three right you might as well be you might as well be on page seven because page three and page seven or page two and page seven are no are, are no real meaningful difference um and we have not we, we've tried uh we've tried social i think just as an experiment we really didn't see any you know, major benefits there. Um, I think we've seen good moves on, you know, on social where we did see, you know, some decent traffic um, was Facebook uh, marketplace. So Facebook marketplace, people searching for apartments there. Um, that kind of is like the new, uh, you know, that's a new Craigslist. Um, what we found there, I think was, it was a little bit lower quality of leads. And so our best quality leads and definitely the most traffic right now um, is with the major is with the major search engines so yeah with it with the major sorry apartment search engines not with the major uh you know not with google, google. yeah that, that makes sense and we've not uh, we we haven't done anything yet with facebook marketplace but i can totally see how that i mean it, it has the ability to be hyper local right like you can really yeah you know with facebook advertising you can really target a specific you know a specific avatar in a specific market and it seems like I can see how that would be really effective. We just haven't, uh, you know, kind of in the world, I guess when you're trying to talk about this, we started out the subject as, you know, what matters. And so rather than trying to, you know, be generating leads from a dozen different places, we're trying to kind of nail down what are the two or three that are going to be most impactful. Let's master those. And then we can, you know, branch out from there. And I've been shocked. I mean, we, you know, to get to that type of data has been really difficult. And like, there's been all sorts of little pieces of software that like have been kind of broken along the way. I mean, there's a major property management leasing software that we utilize that like had something specifically broken where it was not properly telling us, you know, where, where like, like they literally have an internal engineering team working on this problem where, you know, they couldn't tell where exactly the lead was coming from, um, which is kind of nuts, right? Like, I do think that, one of the interesting opportunities in apartments, um, you know, is probably utilization of technology, uh, because from kind of what, what I've seen or what, what I think we've seen, um, and we are not the best at it, we're getting better and better and better. But, um, you know, but what I've seen is that there's a very, you know, kind of throw things at the wall and housing is like this just this core human need and there's always kind of about the right amount you know there's there's always demand for housing and right now we're just in a structural imbalance that i don't know if the market hasn't needed to um but i was just shocked you know and we, we kind of de deciphered in it. it's like like oh this has been broken for like a year and we, we were thinking like you know you're uh you know tens of thousands of other units that didn't notice it was broken didn't notice that they couldn't tell where their money was you know going to leads that were actually coming in from this source or not um so it's it's kind of interesting. It's been a it's been a really difficult journey to like connect the dots there, but um, but we, we we've managed to do it. Yeah, no, we we've experienced the same thing. Like we've tried different tools, and surprisingly, there's no kind of clear one stop shop. Like no, you know, it's yeah. you know you know you can find a tool that covers seventy five or eighty percent of it, but then it doesn't integrate with Zillow or it doesn't yeah. it doesn't do this other thing. And so there's there 
it, it seems like the people who are doing this really well, and you know, and, and maybe you know, you guys are, are one of them, are the people who kind of patch together their own solution, right? It, it kind of, at, at least at the moment, there's not a clear, like, there's not a clear definitive leasing CRM that is just the product that everybody should be using. It's it's very much a patchwork of of kind yeah. of different providers, and I think you know, you kind of have to make your own to some degree. Yeah. I mean, at least for now, that's, you know, I think a lot of it is, um, we're doing our, you know, we're doing our best, but it's, 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 it has been challenging, but like, yeah, at one point I think, you know, the question was kind of asked to the marketing agency. We're like, well, you know, how many of these are actually turned to leads? We're like, well, we can't really tell you right now. I was like, okay, well then we're not going to spend any more money until we know, you know, until we know whether those are actually turning into, um, you know, whether those are actually turning into leases. Um, so, uh, you know, I think one other thing that we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, um, you know, is also the utilization. You know, one of the big things we talked about how important people are, right? One of the big things that we also noticed is your your ads only. Um, you know, this kind of moves into uh, the other side of leasing, which is sales. Your ads only matter, um, you know, as much as the people that follow up and set up a tour, right? Um, if your leads are coming through. So I, I don't know how you guys have kind of thought about that, how you guys hold people accountable. Um, what are your incentive structures for tours versus signed leases? Like, how are you guys kind of thinking about that? Because, you know, it, we, we, we've had properties where we're like, okay, well, there's a bunch of leads coming through the door, but it turns out, you know, no one's following up. No one's reaching out. No one's, no one's scheduling a tour. And that's a, that's a huge uh, broken link. These are timely problems. We're working on we're working on getting <laughs> cool. better at this, you know, kind of daily as 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 we're going right now. But um, I will say, so it, we talked about a little bit about the idea of like what matters and what doesn't. And yeah. when it comes to leasing, I do think it's helpful, um, at least you know, for our internal team, we really like to think about it that the goal of every lead is to schedule a showing, and then the goal for yeah. every showing is to receive an application, and then you, you know, process an application and potentially end up with a, a signed lease. And I think that, you know, just kind of at a basic level, if you get those steps out of order, you can get yourself into trouble. I know that when we were first starting out and we were kind of trying to learn how to do this, um, we had people who were evaluating leads for their, you know, fit as a tenant, as opposed to just focusing on getting that lead to schedule a showing. And I think that there's kind of a, hmm. you can kind of, you know what I mean? Like you, you you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to be trying to evaluate whether or not a lead is or isn't qualified or whether or not they would be a good tenant or any of those types of things. You simply want to get them to schedule a showing. And then once they're at yeah. the showing, you know, even then you're not, you know, yes, you're getting to know the person, you know, you are in some respect assessing the fit, but ultimately the goal in a showing is simply to get an application. And then yeah. you have the opportunity to evaluate the application, look at whatever other data you've got, and then ultimately make a decision on, you know, kind of the fitness of, of that, of that um, applicant as a tenant. But if you, if you try to put the cart in front of the horse, so to speak, it, it just doesn't, you know, you end up, you end up one, I think you just end up kind of confusing your, you know, your message and you, you end up with like a, a lower, a lower result. And two, you, you know, probably make some poor judgments um, too early in the process. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that. Um, you know, and that's easy for, that's easy for people to stay focused on, right? Uh, you know, somebody showing the part, you know, somebody reaching out to lead, all they care about is, is, is getting, getting them at the property. And that's going to lead to higher conversions instead of like a really confusing, you know, a really confusing over uh, complicated kind of pitch or conversation, right? Um, just, Hey, when can you come see the apartment? Right. Um, so I love, I love that. To some degree, it's sales 101, right? I mean, it's it's what every sure. it's why every car salesman wants to get you in a test drive, right? Like they don't want to start talking yeah. financing until you've driven the car, and then yeah. you know, and then they, they don't try to sell you the warranty until you've done the financing. Like there's sort of a there's a funnel, right? Like they know they know how to work somebody down through the system and stay focused on kind of one step at a time, get you to say yes to that next step, and then they focus on the then then they kind of shift the conversation to the step after that. So, yeah. you know. It's a, like, that is, that's kind of how we approach it. Um, not saying that we're, we're experts at it by any means, but at least that's, that's kind of our approach. No, man, it's awesome. I love it. Um, I, I love, I love that simplicity, uh, and kind of going back to, you know, going back to what really matters. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we've 
uh, you know, that we've been taking a look at, and I don't know if you've taken a look at, but there are some interesting AI tools um, now, both for setting up, uh, you know, both for setting up um, appointments, um, you know, taking a lead and immediately scheduling, uh, scheduling a showing, um, but also even doing like personless showing, right? So um, uh, how have you guys tried that at all? Have you guys given it a given it a shot? Um, what do you guys think kind of matters there? So, you know, this is an this is an area I'm very interested in. We don't we have not done anything meaningful with AI yet, but I can I can okay. completely see how uh, you know there's a huge opportunity here with this. And I know that there are some really good uh, AI tools that are starting to get into kind of the prop tech space, but unfortunately, they're at the moment all integrated into only into the largest platform. So they're kind of at a they're yeah. still at a kind of an institutional level that's above where where we're operating. But I mean, I'm excited about the possibility. We do use showing automation software. So uh, okay. like, which basically uh, it will allow a tenant to schedule their own showing, not not to, I mean, they can virtually tour the property through a 3D tour or something like that. But at least in terms of actually scheduling the showing and then having sort of the automated follow-up to confirm the appointment and things like that, um, you know, they can do that without talking to a human. But it's not, it's not AI, it's just... Uh, it's just kind of a, you know, a calendar type service. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, we're, so we're about to kick it off at two of our properties, 150 unit property and 140 unit property. Um, and uh, so I'm ex I'll, I'll, I, maybe we can report back and like, I don't know. So what's the tool? What tool are you guys using? It's called a lease AI. Okay. -E yeah. For a lease or whatever. That's the one I'm familiar uh, with too. Yeah. It's, a, it's e-lease, like a lease, like the name right, lease, yes. AI. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, they, I mean, they have some impressive, I, I, you know, we're excited to give it a shot. I think that, um, you know, I think that, I, I think that a lot of what we see or a lot of breakdowns that we see are, you know, property managers, leasing managers uh, or leasing agents, et cetera. Um, just folks that are, you know, there is so much going on at the property and there's like so much overhead. And so, you know, even, you know, one of the things that they say is, you know, 18% of, you know, I think one of their marketing things is like 18% of prospects wouldn't have even responded if they hadn't received a follow-up from a lease. 73% um, of prospects receive a follow-up message because they didn't respond to the first, uh, to a first message. And they, you know, say 22% in tours, you know, increase in tours. And I can see that, you know, um, when we've done spot checks of humans, um, on, uh, on booking tours, right. Uh, on calling the office and trying to book a tour on all sorts of other things, you know, we've, we've spot checked and we found, you know, we found that in, in certain circumstances or in certain times of the day, et cetera, um, you know, folks have not been around to pick up the phone and schedule a tour or the majority of people are off of work um, in the evening, right? They work during the day, they're off work in the evening. And guess when our property management, you know, uh, office is closed at a property, right? It's closed during the evening. And so, um, you know, I think there's, I think there, you know, I think, I think just capturing missed opportunities and misleads will allow, you know, more leads means higher screen screening requirements. Cause you know, cause you always have more, you know, more opportunity coming through the door. Um, you know, delinquency is the same thing we've spot checked and, you know, delinquency follow-ups, um, you know, are another, uh, another area that this, that this, uh, particular, um, you know, AI tool uses. And so I do think that there's an opportunity there where just, you know, people, you know, the staff in general is incredibly, you know, is incredibly overworked. Um, they got a ton going on and things fall through the cracks and a computer never lets something fall through the cracks. So. Right. Well, and, and I think we as managers understand that, you know, like in both the cases, whether you're talking about following up on, on prospect leads, or you're talking about, you know, rent collection, the generally speaking more is better, right? Like, you know, generally yeah. speaking, more touches, more calls, more text messages. However, kind of on, on a micro level, it seems annoying, right? Like the thing is on any given, on any given lead, you might say, oh gosh, we've already called that lead four times. I don't know if I want to call sure. her a fifth time. I'm embarrassed to make the call. But you know that on a, at a macro sense over all of your leads, more touches are going to result in more, more yeah. sales or more showings or whatever. And so I think it is nice to deal with, you know, kind of mechanical tools like that, where you could just set 
set policies and not be doing it, you know, on a lead by lead basis, trying to determine, oh, is this person going to be annoyed or not? You just kind of say, hey, you know, we we follow up with all leads with, you know, five voice calls and 10 text messages. And then if they don't respond to those, we move them on to some sort of a drip system where we just follow up once a month. And like you can do yeah. that easily with an AI tool. It's a lot harder to do that with a human because I feel like, you know, humans you know, enter in kind of a layer of decision-making that, you know, possibly isn't really adding much value. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And on, you know, one of the things that we were talking about as well, right, is on customer service maintenance. Um, you know, uh, one of the stats that they, that they propose is, you know, 62% of residents are more likely to renew if they get fast responses um, on either maintenance requests or, you know, renewal questions, right? And so I think that that's also really interesting. There's only so much time in a day, right? A human is limited. Um, if somebody's getting fast responses um, from, you know, and, and, you know, even if you have a maintenance issue and you get an immediate response, I mean, you know, lots of times people submit maintenance issues and they, you know, they submitted it six o'clock at night, maybe it's not an emergency. Um, and they're not going to hear back till the next morning. Right. And that can be, you know, that, that, that leads to lower customer satisfaction. Yeah. And maintenance, that's a fun, that's a fun topic to talk about. Cause I think this is something that people don't intuitively get, but when you're talking about what does matter and what doesn't matter, well, you know, yeah. what doesn't matter with maintenance, actually fixing anything. Um, you know, <laughs> like the thing is, you know, what does matter yeah. is responding timely and being polite and, uh, calling people by name. Um, you know, it, you know, it's customer service and it's funny, but that's this, you know, there's lots of studies and lots of data that will support that. You know, you could, you could make, you know, you could have to visit somebody's apartment a number of times to finally fix a problem. But if you, if every time you were timely, you were communicative, you were courteous, they'll give you, they'll rate that experience as a higher quality experience than, you know, somebody who were to come in and actually fix the problem, but do it wow. in a less customer friendly manner. And so I think it's hard. You have to be careful when you're hiring maintenance people, because, you know, you can get, you can get maintenance people who love the idea of fixing things and are probably really sure. skilled at fixing things. But at the end of the day, you'd rather have the guy who loves delivering customer service and he's just mediocre at fixing things because, <laughs> you know, because ultimately yeah. fixing, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously extremes, you know, extremes will yeah, yeah. matter, but, but within reason, fixing things really doesn't matter that much. What matters is the customer experience. And, um, and like, there's also, you know, tenants who have, a moderate amount of maintenance requests that get that get addressed in a in a timely you know kind of courteous manner they'll rate a property experience higher than a tenant who had no maintenance requests so it's not even it's not even somehow critical for the customer experience to not have any maintenance requests like it's really just how you handle those requests when you have them so i think you know yeah. so again it you know having a perfectly functioning property that doesn't require any maintenance and having maintenance techs that can fix everything instantly is probably a very overrated, um, overrated quality. Like, you know, what you really want is a, you know, team of maintenance people that care deeply about the tenants and, you know, will treat people in a way that, you know, leaves a good impression. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, one awesome segue into maintenance and customer service, but also totally true. Um, you know, I guess what have you, uh, you know, what is the importance of maintenance and, and customer service? Like what have, have, have you guys seen big impacts to that in your business? And, and why does that, you know, I guess just for the layman, why does that, why does it matter? You, you know, I mean, again, as a young, as a young property management company, this is something we're learning, not something we've, you know, that we're <laughs> okay. you know, experts at, but, you know, we have definitely found that, you know, the, the maintenance technicians who are, you know, who care more, just generally do better. And the maintenance technicians who, you know, just want to put their head down at work and don't want to, uh, you know, you, you know, they, they end up ultimately getting more complaints, even if they're technically doing their job better. And so we've yeah. just learned that we really need to hire for that, um, you know, for that customer service mindset. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the customer service and the maintenance matters, um, you know, uh, basically because of, you know, three major things, right? But maintenance is one of the common, the, the, probably the most common, um, you know, the common, most common complaint that you'll hear from, 
from residents at a current place, right? If something isn't maintained, if pest control didn't do their job, right? Uh, you know, if if something, you know, was a matter with the apartment that affected their quality of life that didn't get fixed or, or wasn't paid attention to, right? To your point, right? Sometimes it's less about actually fixing it, more about just have, you know, somebody's paying attention to it. Somebody's listening to them. Um, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, review killers that we see, um, you know, is if somebody had an issue and it, it didn't get addressed, right? I've been calling the office X, X amount of times and no one's come out to take a look, right? Not, oh, they came out four times and it took them four times to get it fixed. I, I don't think I've actually ever seen that. I've seen, but I've seen a lot of, oh, I've been complaining about this for X amount of time and no one's responded. Yeah, no, you're you're dead on, and that's and a lot of times when we when we take over a property, especially when there's a lot of deferred maintenance, that's typically the story, right? The old, you know, the, the tenants will tell us that the old manager never returned their calls. You know, they typically have this long list of things like well, I've been calling about, you know, my my shower, you know, my shower yeah. drips, and my, you know, my the the hanger in my closet's broken, and the, you know, like you know, they'll have a whole long list and. I'm sure that to some degree, the previous manager probably didn't, you know, those were probably less important things, right? Because like, you know, it wasn't like a leak or a, um, you know, heat being out or a water heater going out or the type of things that somebody might think are urgent to respond to. But, but yeah, like those little things fester if people don't feel like they're being heard. Um, and then the other, on the other hand, like we've had, you know, we've had some significant maintenance things, you know, we've had you know, sewage backups and that flood entire first floors of garden style oh. buildings, right? So you've got, you've got four apartments that are getting raw sewage on their floors. And you would think that that would be, that that would translate to a horrible tenant experience. Cause obviously in the moment it's pretty bad, but in times like that, if your team responds in a really diligent, you know, um, you know, empathetic sort of manner, um, you know, those tenants end up being your biggest fans because, it's not that anyone really expects there to be, you know, trouble free, you know, renting. I think what people expect is that when something does go wrong, that you're going to respond appropriately. And it's, it's kind of funny to me how the, you know, like, you know, the tenant who has sewage backup in their living room could end up having a better experience and, you know, generally rate you higher than the tenant who their biggest problem was that maybe they, you know, didn't like the noise the bathroom fan made, but because, they didn't feel like they were getting adequate, you know, nobody was ever coming to taking care of their bathroom fan noise. They're going to, yeah. you know, rate the experience <laughs> lower. So yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and one of the things that we've seen coming into a property uh, with bad delinquency issues, one of the biggest things that tenants will, will mention is, well, I didn't pay my rent because, you know, because this, because my toilet's been backed up for three weeks and, uh, you know, no one's come to take a look, right? Or my air conditioning's out. I'm not going to pay for an apartment that have my air conditioning out, right? Um, and so it actually leads into delinquency and collections, um, which I think is kind of our third and final big area that we could touch on. Um, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts and perspective. I think you do a really good job of like breaking things down. What what have you guys found that, you know, what, what matters? Um, you know, when it comes to delinquency and collections? Um, I, you know, there's a, I would say there's a couple of different thoughts I have on this. One would be, I mean, I think number one in collections is consistency. You know, so if, if rent's due on the first and you expect them to pay it on the first, then there needs to be a consistent plan in place for, you know, when they get their first, you know, call or their first notification that the rent's not, you know, that the rent's passed due. And so I, we've found that when we're sloppy about, you know, that kind of follow-up tenants tend to get, uh, sloppy as well. Like, like yeah. a little analogy I've used this with my, um, I've used this talking with my property management staff, but so back when we were, um, highway contractors, uh, you know, this is going back 15 years, but we used to, you know, we did a lot of work in, in, on the roadway. And so we would have these traffic control construction zones and, um, when you're setting up traffic control on like a freeway or something like that, you know, you have a row of cones or a row of barrels or something that's, you know, delineating it. And if you set your cones out sloppy, people will be hitting them all night long. But if you put your cones in a perfectly straight line, people generally don't hit them as often. And it's, it's just yeah. an interesting thing. Like, you know, when, when you show a certain level of, you know, commitment to, uh, you know, to order, 
people respect that. And when you, when you show that you're being sloppy, you know, people behave sloppily as a result. And so I think that same sort of, hmm. that same kind of idea applies to rent collection when they, when they see that, you know, all of your ducks are in a row and that, you know, you're following your own processes of, you know, making a phone, you know, sending them out a notice on the second and another notice on the fourth and a phone call on the fifth, and then like posting something on their door on the sixth and then like a 14 day notice on that. You know, it's like, if you kind right. of fall, if you're, if they can kind of count on it, you know, if they come to expect that sort of level of structure, I think it helps people. It just helps, you know, I don't know. It just creates order. People just respond to it. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, Cause we've actually noticed big differences uh, in collections when we've changed policies, right? Even like an inconsistency in policy, um, and we were changing it for good reasons, but that month immediately after we changed policy, delinquency spiked and, you know, people, people saw issues with it, uh, or sorry, people, people either had issues with it or, or for whatever reason, but that consistency, you know, that, that lack of consistency killed us that month. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really great. And I think, you know, tenants knowing, I, I think there's a microculture that gets developed at a property as well, a property of good payers stays a property of good payers unless you let something start to slip and a property of bad payers is going to stay a property of bad payers until you really like make some some big changes and a lot of those big changes are you know consistency changes right um you know being firm on evictions even if it hammers your physical occupancy one of the things that you know i've had to learn over the years is physical occupancy is just a vanity metric if no one you know if no one's if, if, if you're not collecting right um 95 physical occupancy doesn't mean much if you're only collecting you know 80 percent of that then you're really sitting at 70 percent, right um right well and you so, can also get yeah. into that world like if you're if you're let's suppose you're at a physical occupancy that's only at 95 percent. so you have you have vacant units that maybe aren't you know flying off the shelf as fast as you'd like them to when you have when when that's the situation you know, you, you might feel like you're wanting to work with a non-paying tenant longer, or you just want to hold off on the eviction because you don't want to incur the legal yeah. costs. And you kind of look, because there's no real opportunity cost, right? You're kind of like, well, I don't really need another unit anyways. I've got more units than we can lease, but it does, it sets the wrong precedent. It's kind of like you have to, people quickly learn that, oh, hey, they're not going to evict anybody for non-paying. And then next thing you know, you've got, you know, you've got, you know, yeah. more, more non-payers to deal with. And so it is a, yeah. yeah, the consistency really matters, regardless of kind of what else is going on in the world. It's like if, if the policy is that they get a, you know, in Washington, we would get you would give them a 14 day notice. So, you know, if we yeah. give them a 14 day notice on the sixth, then something better happen at the end of 14 days, because if it doesn't, people are going to learn really quickly that those 14 day notices don't mean anything. Yeah. And word spreads fast in an apartment building. So, you know, word spreads very quickly that, uh, well, you know, these guys, you know, these guys next door, oh man, I'm so stressed. I'm not, you know, I haven't paid my rent yet. And we're like, I haven't paid my rent in like two months. Nothing's happened. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that word spreads super fast. I think the other big thing that we found with delinquency is, is, you know, it's really come down to screening. Um, we've seen a ton of fraud, uh, a ton of fake social security numbers, uh, you know, fake pay stubs, et cetera. Um, and so we've implemented better and better and better and better screening processes. Um, you know, rent multiples are important, uh, you know, but what we really are, you know, our biggest thing that we want to get is like, what is the credit score of this person, right? You know, somebody that's even at a two, say they're only at a 2.5x rent multiple, even they're at a 2.5x rent multiple, but they have a 700 credit score, that person's not going to default probably, right? Like that, that person cares about the paying their bills. And even if it's a stretch and even if they, you know, they're, they're, they're responsible, they're a responsible person, they're paying their bills, um, in all areas of their life, they're not going to just, you know, stop all of a sudden. Yeah. The um, track record speaks yeah. a lot more. It tells you a lot more than just simply their ability, just because they have ability yeah. to pay doesn't mean anything. I'd rather have somebody with much less ability to pay and a consistent track record of always paying their bills because, you know, you just yeah. got to figure that person's going to figure it out. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it takes two things, right? High willing. Oh, tons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tons. So we look at rent multiples all the time. We're like, this person makes four X, five X their rent. Why aren't they paying? Right. Um, and then you look at their credit score and you're like, okay, well, they just don't seem to, you know, they don't, they don't give a damn about right. it. And, uh, you know, you certainly have the ability to make a lot of money and not have good credit score. I mean, that happens all the time. Um, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, you need two things, right. You need ability, but you also need willingness. 
Um, and I'd rather have, you know, I think you put it well, rather have the willingness than, than even the full ability. Um, however, ideally you got both. Um, what have you guys been doing? Have you guys seen much fraudulent, um, uh, like a, it's not identity theft. Usually I think what happens is they're, um, they're taking, uh, and it's like all over TikTok. Like this is like, we're really common thing that seems to be happening right now where, uh, they work with like these credit scrubbing bureaus who give them like a, uh, a temporary social security number that then has no kind of history associated with it. Um, and they can skate by and there are ways to detect it. There's, there's all sorts of like little things you can do. Um, and I'm probably doing a bad job of describing what, what it is they actually do, but, yeah. um, but this is becoming rampant we're seeing. And uh, yeah, no, I'm familiar with it. We, like, fortunately, I don't think we've had a whole lot of it, but we did, we have had, um, we have, we had one, uh, situation fairly recently where somebody, um, you know, somebody came and they, they filled out an application. Their application was generally pretty solid. Like they met all of our criteria. There was no major red flags. There was something a little tiny bit off about the whole thing. There was, a, I don't remember the details of it, but I know talking to my property manager that it, it wasn't, it wasn't like smooth sailing, but I think she would say it was definitely not, definitely not the, you know, I mean, there's always hiccups in the application yeah. process. So this didn't seem super alarming. Um, but then they got in and then they, they just never paid. And it seemed like after, after experiencing this, we kind of realized like these people probably never intended to pay at all. And, and I'm sure mm -hmm. this is that kind of a, you know, they had been, they had been, you know, taught probably by, you know, like, like how you said, like the stuff that's on TikTok or kind of go all over the internet, training people on how to, you know, how to live for free. And so they were just, uh, you know, they were, they were just planning to milk the system the whole time. So I think, and that's where it's tricky because I know there's a lot of technology out there uh, and we're looking at some of it of late ways to reduce move-in costs, you know, ways to, sure. um, you know, in, in lieu of, in lieu of large security deposits. Well, and a lot of, a lot of municipalities are passing laws on limiting move-in costs because it tends to be a barrier for, you know, a lot of people to find quality housing, yeah. but in it, it's hard when you have these types of things going on because ultimately you know, kind of, it, you know, having high move-in costs or having large deposits, it does provide you with a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a security. I mean, on one hand, large deposits give you some more upfront money. So if somebody does intend to never pay, at least you've got, you know, you've got some money to work with as you try to get them out. Um, but yeah. on the other hand, it's also just a barrier. I mean, generally speaking, somebody who can come up with, you know, whatever the move-in costs are, $3,500, $4,000 for move-in costs, that just says something about their financial wherewithal. Like if somebody can barely scrape together one month's worth of rent to, you know, to move into an apartment, that seems to me like that's going to be a, a problem going forward. I don't know. What do you guys, yeah. have you guys done anything with any of the, uh, any of Bigger, the different, you know, depositless we, renting programs? Yeah, we've tried. Um, but I, I, I can't say we've had good success so far. So, um, so we are, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a skin in the game thing, right? We'd re you know, somebody's not going to walk away from a bigger deposit, right? And they're, they're less willing to walk away from a bigger deposit, but if they paid a hundred bucks, um, you know, uh, and they're walking away from a hundred bucks, right. And they're going to get a month, maybe two months free before we can get them evicted. Um, you know, that's not nearly as big of a deal versus if they paid first and last and security deposit right up front, well, you know, that's going to be pretty, that's going to be a pretty big difference, right. In, in, in what they're thinking about, right. Because after a month of not paying, well, we've still got two months, you know, we've still got two months of your money. Um, so we got, you know, we're probably not going to lose as much, um, in that scenario. And so we are not currently doing that full, um, first last security deposit, just because our, most of our, our renters are workforce housing, but we are, um, you know, we are switching back to larger security deposits and not, not going with some of these kind of low security deposit things. We just noticed, you know, we just noticed much higher default rates, um, when we implemented those things and they, they have the security in place and they're like, well, we'll pay you a month's rent if this person defaults and blah, 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 blah. But, um, it never ended up being enough to make up for the, you know, delinquency and apartment turn costs and everything else. So. Yeah, no, it really ends up, I think just being. Um, I don't like, like it's a, it, it's a sorting mechanism. You know, the thing is yeah. the people who are able to come up with the, uh, the move-in costs, you know, just, just the fact that they're able to come up with them tends to say something about their ability to pay.
but yeah, um absolutely yeah we don't i mean we don't do the first we don't have like first last plus a full a big security deposit i mean we, we are trying to keep moving cost competitive so it, it's a it's a balance we typically charge first month's rent and then we have a security deposit and a leasing fee but we don't we never charge last sure. month's rent and then our security yeah. deposits are typically i mean they're typically about half of a month's rent so it's actually um you know in the grand scheme of things it's pretty affordable yeah no that, that, that makes a lot of sense well, this has been a fun episode. I love diving into the details. Um, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, I think lots of times we look at like the bigger picture, but at the end of the day, right, the, the entire performance of an investment relies on the ability to, you know, acquire, capitalize, and then operate an, an apartment well. Um, so uh, this has been a really fun episode. And actually, I took a ton of notes. Uh, I thought you had some really good thoughts. I'm going to reach out to our asset management team um, to touch base on a couple of these things. Um, I'm going to give Zillow a try. I will keep everyone posted on our work with Elise AI and, and let's see if it... Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm really excited to hear how that goes. I mean, I I, too. I know specifically about the, the Elise AI stuff and it we don't, we don't use a property management software platform that is compatible right now, but I would love to yeah. know your experience. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. We'll report back. Um, maybe we can do an AI-focused uh, episode in four or five weeks, and I'll have some results. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know if you know this, but you know, we have a good friend who's very close to the the creator of Elise AI. So I think we could. I think there's a chance we could even get the uh, creator of Elise AI on the uh, on the call. Oh, that'd be awesome. I did not know that. Cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be killer. All right. Well, thank you guys, everyone. Um, that's it for today.